Welcome to the Birmingham Bible Conference hosted by Glen Iris Baptist Church. We extend an invitation to you to come visit us at 1137 10th Place South in Birmingham. The Monday through Wednesday a.m. service begins at 11 or you can join us at noon each day for the delayed broadcast of the morning service. The evening service begins at 7 p.m. or you can join us for the live broadcast each evening. Returning for this year's Birmingham Bible Conference is Dr. Brian Green from London, England, where he has pastored the Calvary Baptist Church for over 50 years. Dr. Green is a gifted preacher and teacher of the Word of God, speaking in many conferences as well as the director of the annual Highly Bible Conference held in Hertfordshire, England. We trust you will find help and encouragement from God's Word today as we now join the Glen Iris Baptist Congregation for the Birmingham Bible Conference. I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 3 for our scripture tonight. Philippians chapter 3. This beautiful, beautiful thank you note, if you will, from Paul from prison to the Philippians. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you. To me, indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision, for we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might have also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he have whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ." the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being made conformable unto His death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Our gracious Heavenly Father, this is your word that you have sent to us, preserved for us, recorded for us, for our learning and our admonition. 
We pray you'd bless your dear servant as he opens up this living book. Lord, your word declares that it is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It can pierce and do surgery upon the heart and the mind and the soul. What other book can claim such things? There's none. You've said you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. As you brought Paul to that place of him seeing his works were nothing but manure. May no one have confidence in anything this flesh can produce. No religious ritual, no thing that that man can come up with. We rest in the finished work of Christ. Oh, show us Christ and Him crucified. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Uh, Time goes very quickly, doesn't it? It uh, almost seems once again that uh, we've only just begun the conference and we're now up to Tuesday evening. Quite remarkable. But the Lord has blessed us and uh, I want to say again thank you for inviting me. And uh, Pat and I have enjoyed ourselves immensely and uh, we've enjoyed the fellowship, especially of your pastor and his wife who are very, very kind to us and we're very grateful for the fellowship that we enjoy with them. I want you to turn with me, if you will, please, to the portion of Scripture that the pastor read from God's Word. Uh, It's Philippians and chapter 3. I want to try, if I can, this evening to speak to you from this portion of Scripture. And I pray the Lord will be pleased to bless it to each of our hearts and lives. Really, the portion of Scripture that we're going to consider together is verses 11 uh, to 14. But I want to just read to you where I have my text. It's very important, of course, to follow the Word of God, and I trust that you'll follow it this evening, and may the Lord be pleased to bless it to each of our hearts and lives. Verse 13, then, is our, uh, where we find our text. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, and reaching forth, unto those things which are before. I want you to notice uh, right in the middle, or at least a bit more at the beginning than the end of this particular verse, where it says, but this one thing I do. But this one thing I do. I'm sure that everyone here who knows their Bible will say how wonderful the epistle to the Philippians really is. It's the epistle of joy. And we often call it that because... The word joy or rejoice or the equivalent occurs some 24 times in this short epistle. And that's quite remarkable when you consider that it's written by a man who is in prison at that time and his future is very uncertain. In fact, he considers that he's on death row and he was, of course. This is one of the last epistles that Paul actually writes Uh, before he's taken, uh, before the tribunal or the judgment, and then he loses his life, simply and solely because he belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet he writes with joy. It's very interesting in that first chapter that we also read this evening, uh, that uh, in verse 4, he writes about joy for the first time in this epistle, uh, and he writes this, Always in every prayer of mine uh, for you, all making... Men- requests with joy making requests with joy 
You don't always uh, say that praying is with joy. We labor in prayer and we earnestly seek God in prayer, but do we really pray with joy? Do we make requests with joy? And yet here's a man, when he prays, he prays with joy. And that's a wonderful experience. And it's a wonderful experience that the Apostle Paul had come to. Philippi was quite an interesting place. It was a place that at this particular time uh, was devoted really for, to ex-soldiers. Uh, when a man had come and been serving in the Roman army, he was given the privilege of residing in Philippi. Uh, everything that he did there would be paid for by the Roman army and it was a place of retirement uh, for them. And so there was many, many Roman soldiers or ex-Roman soldiers actually uh, there. Uh, there was no synagogue there. Uh, wherever Paul went, there seems to be a synagogue, and he would go to the synagogue and preach the gospel, but not in Philippi. And when he formed the church, or when the church was formed, remember it, how it was formed. First of all, there was Lydia, who was a seller of purple, who came from Tyre to Tyre. And then there was that young demented girl who was taken over by Satan and really was a slave to the men who, who used her and abused her as well. And she was converted, wasn't she? And brought to a knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the third person, of course, who we think joined the church was the Philippine jailer. And he, of course was in the service of the Roman government, no doubt. But that was really the foundation of the church. Miraculous conversions, remarkable and wonderful in every way that you could think of it. And Paul comes there, doesn't he? And of course you'll know that there was certainly a stirring up and Paul is put into prison with Silas and they sing. Could you imagine what that must have been like in a prison cell with their feet in the stocks and at midnight they're singing praises to God and that great earthquake takes place. My, what an earthquake. God doesn't do things by halves, does he? And all the, so all the, all the prisoners were let loose, although none of them were lost whatsoever. Uh, but Paul and Silas certainly was and the Lord blessed them and used them once again and they were able to escape and go elsewhere to preach the gospel. But now he writes to the Christians who are there. Obviously God has blessed them and God has used them in such a manner and in such a way that now there's a thriving church. And when you read this epistle and you see some of the wonderful things that the Apostle Paul says, you realize how far this church had really gone on. But in our se section that we're going to consider together tonight, I, I think that it's an important section. In fact, it's probably one of the most important sections in all of the epistles that the Apostle Paul actually writes. It tells us in the first place a great deal about Paul. It tells us also concerning his frame of mind. Uh, certainly when he comes uh, to uh, verse in the last chapter of this uh, book where he says, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Paul, you can't mean that. You're in prison and, and, and you're suffering greatly. When they were in prison, if they didn't have any money, they would starve to death. And he had to pay his way, even for the food that he actually ate. 
That is why they send a gift to him while he's in prison. You may wonder, why did he need a gift? Simply to exist. And, and, and so they send a gift to him and this epistle was really written in, in thanks to them of sending the gift to him. But Paul, how can you be content in such a manner and in such a way? Nobody could have been in such a dire circumstance. And yet he says, I have learned to be content. Contentment is a wonderful thing, isn't it? It's not shared by many people in this world of ours, let alone in this uh, land of yours. Uh, contentment is something which is to be prized by every one of us. Contentment with godliness is great gain, says the word of God. And so it is. Because that's the only way that you can really have the contentment the Bible speaks of. By knowing that your sins are forgiven. Knowing that you're washed in the precious blood of Jesus. Knowing that you have a home in heaven. And that one day you're going to that place that we were singing about. The heavenly place. Which is full of joy and love and light. But it tells us a little bit about his attitude, doesn't it? And tells us a little bit about him uh, himself and towards his situation. It really shows us his spiritual health as a Christian. Lots of people hate making decisions, but it seems to me Paul never suffered from that problem. Here's a man who was single-eyed in everything that he did, and our verse really tells him just that. Our verse really tells us just what we ought to be as well, where he says, but this one thing I do. He's in prison. What could he do? Was there anything he could do? He was used to preaching in the open air. He was used to going into the synagogues and proclaiming the word of God. He was used to teaching and training people uh, so that they may know what to do before the Lord. But now here, he's in prison, and he says, this one thing I do. But what was the one thing that he did? And what do we really mean by that? Of course, what we're really speaking about is a single-eyed Christian, aren't we? A single-eyed Christian. You know, we're in the Methodist church, first was founded, at least they were not founded as a church, first of all. They were just Methodists and belonged to the ecclesiastical movement in, in, in my country. They called them single-eyed Christians. They also called them moths because they would dig deep into the word of God and they were single-eyed concerning the Bible. Well, Paul was like that, wasn't he? And that's exactly what he says here. You'll remember in the scripture, this sort of verse comes up a number of times. For instance, Psalm 27 and verse 4, the psalmist says, One thing I have desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after. One thing have I desired. And then you'll remember that it's mentioned concerning the blind man in John chapter 9 and verse 25. One thing I know, that whereas I was blind, but now I see. The rich man in, in Matthew's, Mark's gospel rather, and chapter 10 and verse 21, is said that he lacked one thing. Remember Martha, that lady who was always busy with things, and perhaps too busy so that she didn't have time to sit at the feet of the Lord Jesus in Luke 10. Uh, was said, was told that she lacked one thing, didn't she? And she did lack that one thing, whereas her sister had it, of course. 
And so you'll, you'll see that this is a, a biblical pr- principle uh, throughout the word of God. And we would go so far as to say uh, that it's uh, something that every one of us ought to be. We ought to be single-eyed for the glory of God, single-eyed to know the Lord more, single-eyed to do his will, single-eyed to serve him while we're here on earth. And who knows how long we will be here on earth. We don't know, do we? But we ought to say that for the rest of my life, whatever that may be, I'll be single-eyed for God. It's interesting uh, that uh, we have three distinct pictures of the Apostle Paul in this chapter. I don't know if you can see it, but uh, let me just show you what I mean by that. First of all, we see Paul the accountant. The man, uh, an accountant is a man, of course, who deals with money and counts money and does all the numbers. Well, just look what the Apostle Paul said in verse 7 and in verse uh, 8. And what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. He's the accountant. And then you'll notice that he's the alien as well in uh, verse 20, which is quite a remarkable verse, and 21, of course, is excellent. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. What I really mean by that here is that he's going to have a changed body, isn't he? He's not of this world. And that's a Christian, isn't it? We're in the world, but we're not of the world because we've been saved by the blood of Christ and being saved, we're new creatures in, in Christ Jesus. And then, of course, you come to the Apostle Paul as something else. He's the athlete as well. You'll look again at verse 14. I press towards the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That's the picture that you have there. Uh, the athlete straining and stressing uh, to do that which is right and uh, seeking the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Now the thing is this. You see, we regard the Apostle Paul as a satisfied man. We regard the Apostle Paul as a happy man as well. But here he's a discontented man. A discontented man. And in one sense, every one of us here tonight ought to be discontented people. We're not satisfied with ourselves. We're not satisfied with what we've done. We're not satisfied with our lives. We want to do something greater. We want to do something better. We really want to be the best we possibly can be for God. That's exactly what we're talking about here. And that is why, in our verse, he said, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting the things which are behind and reaching forth unto the things that are before. Can you see what I mean? That's what it means. It really does. This is the discontented Paul. And every Christian here ought to be discontented. We're not what we ought to be. That's our trouble. Uh, and, and we took at our land. Our land is not what it ought to be either. And we're discontented. That's why we pray more. That's why we seek the Lord more. That's why we want to do more in our own lives while the Lord gives us opportunity to. 
Well, now let me, if I can, speak to you about our verse and go through some of these other verses that we have here. The first thing that I want you to notice is his declaration. His declaration. If you go back to verse 10 and you go right on to verse 14 and we'll just read verse 10 that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. And you go on to our verses which we've seen and we will see in just a moment. You will notice how the personal pronoun is mentioned so very much. I said to you that uh, this is all about the Apostle Paul and so it is. He's really opening up his heart here and showing us just all about himself. It's all about what he desired to achieve. It's all about what, what he desired uh, to, to do and to obtain while he's still here in the body. And you'll see it in these verses as we go through. First of all, you'll see the prospect. Verse 11. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Now tell me, how do you understand that verse? Oh, I know we've got some good theologians here and no doubt they've thought about this verse and they could tell you exactly what they consider about the verse. If you took some commentaries out of uh, your pastor's shelves or perhaps you've got some yourself, you'd find that there's not two commentaries really agree on what this verse means. Uh, for instance, you, you, you look at it and you, you say, look, this is definitely difficult to understand. Does it actually mean that you have to be at a certain level of Christianity or godliness to take part in a future uh, resurrection uh, and, and also to eternal life? Now, if you really believe that, you believe in salvation by works. And so we don't believe in salvation by works. We believe our salvation, of course, is simply and solely by grace. And then you have to ask yourself then, is the future, the resurrection, is it dependent upon our holiness? Well, of course, once again, the answer is no, it's not. It's not my holiness, it's not my purity, it's not me, it's what the Lord is and what the Lord has done upon the cross for my sin. Well now, how do we take it then? Do we take it literally or do we take it spiritually? It's interesting that the resurrection is mentioned in just a few verses before. And if we understand it in one way, that is the first reference, it seems to me that you must understand it in a similar way when you come to this verse. So we look at verse 10, which is a remarkable and a very wonderful verse. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Now what do we mean by that? That I might know him. Well, the apostle, of course, did know the Lord. There's no question about that. And what he's meaning here is that I might know him more, that I might know him deeper, that I might know more about him day by day and hour by hour. And then when you come to the resurrection, it's a spiritual conception that we're talking about, the power of his resurrection. Who could tell about what is the power of that resurrection that raised Jesus from the dead? And we'd know that you and I can share in that power of his resurrection. The apostle tells us in this that... So it seems to me to be a spiritual uh, thing that we're really talking about here. It's something about the resurrection life now. 
in our hearts and in our lives. We can know the resurrection power. Yes, of course there's a resurrection to come. And I'm not doubting that. And of course I believe that with all my heart. But there's a resurrection power that we can share in even now in this life. We're dead to sin and alive to God. That's the resurrection power which we know something about. Our life, the spiritual life we have in our soul, is a spiritual life. It's fellowship with the invisible God. That's the power of the resurrection. And, and it, it, it's, it, it's that life which it gives to us even now by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the prospect. And it seems to me that the Apostle here is speaking just about that. You see, he didn't feel his life was over. Oh yes, he may face an uncertain future. He didn't know what was going to happen. But he wanted the greatest and the best out of a spiritual life here now. And you may say, but I'm old. I, I've had my day. Well, in some senses, of course, some of us have. But listen, I'm not finished and you're not finished yet until God calls you to, his heaven, to our heavenly home. And if we're not finished, then we want the best and the greatest thing. I want to know this resurrection power in my life so that I can share in the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. The second thing you'll notice here, and we're talking about the declaration that Paul makes, is concerning a person. You know, all that we do is with our relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, he's the one who governs our lives. And there seems to me to be four steps concerning Christ. And I want you to notice this progress or progression that you have here. First of all, he speaks about winning Christ. Let me read again uh, verse 8, which is a very important verse. Yea, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. That's quite a remarkable verse, and we're not going to go right into the verse. But what does it mean to win Christ? Here's another problem. Uh, if one was concerning the resurrection, this is a, a great problem as well. How can you win Christ? Is that possible? Well, the word win really means gain. And, and if you look at the text in that way, you can understand that I may gain Christ, that I may gain more of, of Christ. When you think about this, that I may gain more forgiveness from Christ, that I may gain more righteousness of Christ, that I may gain him on my side in every sense, that I may gain him as my high priest, that I may gain him as my advocate, that I may gain him as my intercessor, that I may gain in his name and in his name alone. Surely that's our objective, that's our aim, that's our motivation, that I may win Christ, that I may gain Christ. Oh, we haven't arrived, have we? No, of course we haven't. There's so much more for us. There's so much more of Christ to know. There's so much more of Christ to understand and to realize and to take in ourselves. And then we go back to that verse 10, where it says here, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings and may be made conformable unto his death. That I may know Christ, so that I may win Christ, now I may know Christ. We understand this, don't we? That when you come become a Christian, you know Christ personally. He's our personal saviour. But we go on to know him intimately. 
and we go on to know him exclusively so that others are taken out of the way and we know just him and him with all his power and all his glory. But then there's more. Because in these verses it says about the person that we may follow Christ as well. Verse 12 this time. Not as though I'd already attained. Either were already perfect. Listen, we think of Paul as a great man. Yes, he was a mighty man. But he says he hasn't attained. He hasn't got there. Was he a greater Christian than me? Oh, yes, I'm sure of that, without a doubt. And yet, he hasn't attained yet. He's not got there. There's more, you see, more that we, we ourselves can experience, more that we can know ourselves about the things of God, and especially about Christ. So we go on. But I follow after that I may apprehend for that which I am apprehended or arrested of Christ Jesus, that I may arrest that which I am also, I am arrested of Christ Jesus. Isn't that a wonderful thought? It really is. I, I've been arrested for a purpose. Let me arrest it. Let me go after it. Let me understand it. Following Christ. Walk in his steps. Obey his law. To do his will. Is there anything great, greater outside of heaven than to do the will of God? My, the will of God for our lives. And the wonderful thing about it is this, that there is a will of God for every person. And that's a wonder, isn't it? You imagine that God has me in mind. He has you in mind. He has multitudes of people in mind. And there's a will of God for every person. There's a will of God for you. Make sure that you do it. Make sure that you know it. Make sure that you do that which is Christ. And then, of course, there's one other thing as well. And that is that we may be like Christ. I may win Christ. I may know Christ. I may follow Christ. I may be like Christ. We go back to our verse 20. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Saviour, the Lord Jesus, who shall change our vile body. Listen, we may think our bodies are wonderful, but they're vile bodies. They really are. And the Lord says he's going to change our vile body. What would it look like? Well, let me show you. Because it says in that verse, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. My, that's something thought, isn't it? That we shall be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, at the sound of the last trump, the trumpet shall sound and we shall be changed. My, what a day that will be. And change this old vile body that we have to his glorious body, according to the working where he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. My, can you imagine just what that means? We will be. You may say we could be, even now changed like unto him. And we should be changed like unto him. We must be changed like unto him. We have a hymn in our hymn book, Be like Jesus every day, in the work and in the play. And it goes on, be like Jesus, be like Jesus. But that's what we want to be, isn't it? That's exactly what's said here. And you'll notice once again that it all links up to that wonderful verse that we began with because the Apostle Paul says this one thing, this one thing I do, this one thing I do. Could you say that tonight? Does Jesus mean that much to you? That's what I'm really trying to say. Now we've spoken about the prospect. We've spoken about the person. I, I want you to notice the prize as well. The prize. Verse 14, we come back to the verse again. 
I press towards the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Could you sign your name next to that verse and make it your verse? A Christian belongs to the high calling of God. Is there anything greater than that? Or you could boast about being a member of this or that or the other. But my friend, there's nothing greater on earth than belonging to the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. We speak about it being a heavenly calling, don't we? We speak about it being a holy calling. We speak about it being a high calling. Because that's what the word of God says, the high calling. Nothing higher, nothing greater, nothing more than just that. And we belong to that. That's the name of our race that we're in because we are athletes. We're running the race before God, aren't we? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And it's obtainable for all. This prize that we're talking about all, it's available to all. In 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 24, the apostle there says, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth a prize. So run that ye may obtain. That's what we must do. Are you running that you may obtain tonight? Could you honestly say, that's me, I really want it. I press towards the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And I'm doing that and I, and I want to do it with all, with all my heart. Oh, my friend, that's just what it means. And the words there in the original really speak about straining. Straining just like an athlete does. Every muscle is in use. And, and, and you look on the person's face and you see the strain and the stress. But listen, that's the Christian. We are pressing towards the mark. That's what we are. Surely it is. And surely we also know, of course, that there is a crown. That's the prize. The incorruptible crown. To Timothy, it was a crown of righteousness. To the suffering Smyrna church, in the book of Revelation, it was a crown of life. And when Peter comes along and writes his epistle to those who are scattered abroad, he writes concerning the crown of glory. And we can receive because of one fact. Can you remember it? We can receive a crown. And one day when we come before God, we should receive a crown. That's what the Word of God teaches us, you see. But how can we receive a crown? I'll tell you why. Because he received a crown of thorns that was mine I deserve that but Jesus took it all didn't he and took my crown of thoughts a crown of, a crown of thorns that I might have an incorruptible crown oh how wonderful I don't know if you've been to London but if you've been to London maybe you've been to St Paul's Cathedral Remarkable place, there's no question about that. Once a minister there, and if they have several ministers there who minister on a Sunday and sometimes during the week at special services, he was a good evangelical and that was a miracle in and of itself because many of them are not. But he read to the congregation 2 Timothy 4 and verse 6 to 8 which speaks about the crown. And then he stopped in the middle of it and he looked up. You look up into a great tower 
uh, in St Paul's. It's one of when it was built, the highest building in in London. It's not today, but it was then. And he looked up and he and he shouted, "Paul, are there any more crowns left?" The congregation was stunned that he should do that. And then he stopped and he turned towards them and he said, yes, there are. There's more crowns left. Are we going to have one of those crowns? Just a story, but that actually happened. But my friend, that's true for us. I press towards the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Crown of life. Oh, how you and I must press towards the mark and so run that we may obtain. And remember our verse, this one thing I do. All the other things don't matter. They're of time. The other things are of the flesh. They're of this life. But there's something far more important than this life. Is it possible? Yes, it is. And that's the spiritual things we're talking about. The things of God, the things of Christ. I press towards the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. We've looked at his declaration, but let me hurry on. I want to now show you out of these verses his confession. Remember, Paul is coming to the end of his life. He may not know that fully, although he has a prema he understands that soon he will die. And the first thing that he speaks about is failure. You say, does he really speak about failure here? Yes, he does. Let me show you what I mean. In verse 12, not that I had already obtained, either were made perfect, but I follow after, that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth under those things which are before. Can you see, he really is speaking here about looking back in his life. He said, I've, I've not attained what I ought to have done. I've not done what I ought to. I wonder if we make that confession tonight. I certainly can look back in my life. I've been in the ministry for years and years, been preaching for many, many years as well. But what a waste sometimes. Uh, how sad it is that I look back upon my life and there are years where the locusts have eaten and I realize and I, I recognize that I ought not to have been like that. I didn't ought to have done that. I, I shouldn't have gone that way. And how, how sad. But we all have things like that. And the Apostle Paul looks back. He realizes he's not attained. He's not arrived, he's not reached what he believed he should have been and we ourselves are just like that he was a great missionary he was a resolute church builder, he was a soul winner he came through immense trouble and trial while he's preaching the gospel, he's head and shoulders above everybody else it seems to me and yet still he says he's a long way off he wants to, to know more. He's in a prison cell. What can he do? He can do nothing. Yes, he can. Oh, he's not giving up. 
And it doesn't matter what situation we have found ourselves in. And we look back in the past. Yes, we have failure. Yes, we have sin. Yes, we understand that. But we're not looking back. We're looking forward, aren't we? And we're looking forward to that day that we shall see him. Chrysostom was called the golden-mouthed preacher. And he must have been for that title that was given him. And he said this, He who thinks he has obtained everything has nothing. And if you think you've arrived, my friend, you've not got very far at all. That's the trouble. And then the folly. <coughs> he speaks here in these verses that we've read. And he says, either were perfect. Some people would say of Paul that he was a holy man. He's called a saint, isn't he? But in his heart, he knew himself. That's why he called himself the chief of sinners. Could he really be the chief of sinners? My friend, he didn't sin more than me. I sin more than him. I'm the chief of sinners. But you see, that's how we've got to come to ourselves. Recognize ourselves that we're nothing. We're weak vessels. We're nothing and nobodies before God. And when we stand before him, how can we stand? We have no righteousness of our own. Unless the Lord had saved us and cleansed us in his precious blood and covered us in his righteousness, where would we be tonight? We would be nowhere. We would have to say, we're not perfect. We've not obtained. That's for sure. Or we've sinned in word. We've sinned in thoughts. We've sinned indeed, every one of us. And then you see the forfeit in here as well. So that in verse 13 he says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are, are past, uh, are behind, and reaching forth unto those things which are before. Ah, oh, that's the answer, isn't it? That's the answer. He could boast of seven great things in his life. Pride of tradition. He was circumcised, circumcised the eighth day. He was of the stock of, of Israel. He was of the tribe of Benjamin who provided the first king of Israel. He was a Hebrew of a Hebrew. He was a Pharisee. He was zealous. He was blameless in the law. Blameless in the law. That's what he said. And now he realizes all oh, that's for nothing. All that is for nothing whatsoever. Why? Because salvation is free. Grace is free. And the love of God is free. It's not what we've done, it's not what we are, but it's what he is and what he becomes for each one of us. So tonight, after seeing his declaration and then his confession, we come to his resolution. And the resolution is to be a single-eyed Christian. And three things he speaks of. First of all, he speaks of a path that is before him. And remember, he's in prison. Remember his situation, and yet he still has something to live for. His motivation is to serve God and to bring honor and glory to his name. And so verse 12, not as though I'd already obtained or either already perfect, but I follow after. I follow after. If that I may apprehend for that which I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Why was he arrested by Jesus Christ? That word apprehended really means. Well, it's the path of the will of God. He is arrested to do the will of God. He is apprehended to do the will of God. My friend, that's exactly what you have been saved for, to do the will of God.
we think of the will of God and we believe in a sovereign will of God. God is working his purposes out. We may not understand what's happening in this world, but praise God, he's in charge. God is still on the throne and he will not forsake his own. There's no question about that. We know the seed will of God. And when we think about the Lord Jesus Christ, we see a man who fulfilled the will of God totally. We speak about the secret will of God. That's his providence behind. And how wonderful it is how the providence of God works in our lives. I could tell you story after story in my own life when the Lord has been working uh, in the the behind the scenes, bringing things to pass. But there's a special will of God as well. And that special will of God is for you. This is the most important in a way. Because it's the will of God for your life. And there is a will of God. And you can know the will of God. So that you do the will of God. This is the most important. Oh, it really is. We're pilgrims. We're pressing on towards heaven. We have a battle to fight. We have a conflict with the devil. And the flesh. And the world. We're a runner that's seeking to win and obtain in the race that is set before us. And every one of us has, has a race to set, that has been set before us. That's our path. And what does it mean? It means the will of God. Are you fulfilling the will of God tonight? And there's a progression as well. Reaching forth unto those things which are before. Paul, what have you got before? The verb here is the word which is straining, reaching, reaching forth and reaching on towards what is before, giving all concentration and, and, and knowing that our destination is heaven and, and seeking his face. And one day we'll be there before him, giving an account of our lives. Oh, will that be fearful or joyful as far as we're concerned? And so we come to the passion. And the passion is, I press towards the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Columbus says on his journey to discover America that there was a riot on board. They had gone day after day, seeing nothing but sea. There was no land there. They didn't believe the land was there. He did. And even though they righted and said they were going to turn the vehicle back in the sea and take the ship back to Spain, Columbus says, no, no, we must go on. And in his log, which is kept even to this day, it says, no land for days, mutiny on board, but we sailed on, sailed on. This one thing I do. I press towards the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Will you join me? May God bless you, everyone. Thank you for joining us for another service from the annual Birmingham Bible Conference here at Glen Iris Baptist Church in South Birmingham. If you would like a CD copy of Dr. Green's message, please call us at 
205-323-1516. Again, that number is 205-323-1516. Or if you choose to write and request copies of these messages, send your correspondence to Glen Iris Baptist Church, 1137 10th Place South, Birmingham, Alabama, 35205. Again, that address is Glen Iris Baptist Church, 1137 10th Place South, Birmingham, Alabama, 35205. Thank you for joining us either on WAY-TV Channel 47 or WGIB Radio, the Where God is Blessing Broadcasting Network.